We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcast. Listen up. All you ever ask for is an opportunity. You got it today. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rockpile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to Last night was his best game as a professional. I I thought he was fantastic. Anybody watching that game last night can't come across and say, yeah, but can he win the big one? They wiped the floor with a very good Robert Sala coach Niners defense. Josh Allen was so dialed in, and he was dialed in against the Chargers, and he was actually really, really good against the Cardinals when they lost that game. I think this is the team that gives the Chiefs the most struggles. Not the Steelers. Steelers, they might beat the Chiefs on a given day or whatever. the, the Bills, to me, that last night could beat any team in football. Mm-hmm. They can definitely beat the Chiefs if the Chiefs oh. don't have everything going on offense. I'm telling you. It's a bold statement. Josh Allen, when he's down on that offense, match with that defense and that discipline and that coaching staff, like they don't make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And Allen was so good. So awesome. Roethlisberger and Allen were both on TV last night. Allen was Sorry. far and away the scarier quarterback if I'm a Chiefs fan. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pile Report podcast. I am your hungover host, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was Peter Schrager from NFL Network's Good Morning Football on Josh Allen's Composure. And on the Bills, being a dark horse as the AFC's strongest team. Wow. What what do you say to that? Molson Ice. Appreciate you. <laughs> Appreciate the Molson Ice. We've got a loaded show for you tonight, folks. We've got uh, Joe, Joe Kuzma from Steel City Underground. He's going to help us preview the Steelers matchup this weekend. We've got our recap of last night's wild football game. But first, before we dive into it, just putting out another reminder. Wise Guys Pizzeria and the Toys for Tots Drive. 
It's real simple. You provide a toy, $15 or approximately in value. You get a free large cheese and pepperoni pizza. Chris, it doesn't get much easier than that, right? Pretty easy. Who doesn't want to help out, especially knowing what 2020 has been, knowing what COVID has done to the economy, knowing how many how many families out there need help? Who doesn't want to do something nice for people and then also get a pizza in return for it? That seems like a no-brainer, right? Yeah, it does. Like I said before, it's, it's on Seneca Street, Wise Guys Pizzeria. If you can't get down there yourself... I will be happy to help facilitate. I, I've got the coupons. I have them to disperse. I, I work on this with Jay every year. If you aren't comfortable or can't get down there, tweet at us at Rockpile Report or email us rockpilereport seven one six at gmail.com. Let me know. I will. I, we will find a way to get you your pizza and get your toy to some underprivileged kid or somebody who just somebody who needs something special this Christmas and just just to try to brighten up the holidays, Chris. Who am I? Another guy talking about... You're a piece of trash is what you are. <laughs> I feel like a piece of trash. You are garbage. You're right, Chris. I am garbage. I look like it. I feel like it. And we're going to dive into exactly why as part of this week's recap. As you look back at Monday Night Football last night as the Bills win 34-49ers 24. Here are your stats of the game. Josh Allen, 32 of 40 for 375 yards, four touchdowns, no picks one sack, and a 139 passer rating. Nick Mullins, 26-39 for 316, three touchdowns and two picks, no sacks, and a 95 rating. Josh Allen, 8 of 9 with two touchdowns on passes of 15 or more air yards. Mullins, just two attempts of 15 or more air yards. San Francisco's rushing attack, no running backs with double-digit carries. None with more than 50 yards rushing, no rushing touchdowns allowed, and a longest rush of 18 yards. The Bills' wide receivers, Gabe Davis, three three catches on four targets for 68 yards and a touchdown, three first downs and a touchdown now in back-to-back weeks. Wide receiver Cole Beasley, 113 first-half yards. And Diggs and Beasley combined for 14 first-down catches combined. And then the offensive line. One sack allowed in just three quarterback hurries, one of the lowest figures posted by any team this season. I have to say last night might have been the most positive experience I've had watching a Bills game this year. Uh, it was, at least for me. You were, I mean, outside of the first the first two drives. Which who was- wasn't apoplectic in those first? Find me the man who didn't throw a piece of furniture after those first two drives. Well, most all right. There's probably a lot of those people. I'm going to say that most of our audience, unlike you, they don't assume the game is over after one drive. I don't assume the game is over. You do that a lot. Oh, you do that a lot, and your wife will back me up on that. Well, do do you know why though? Especially in moments like that, because Because I have a long memory, Chris. Alcohol has destroyed many things, but not my long term memory of Buffalo Bills losses. I yeah. can't. I can't drink that out of my. I can't remember. I can't, my short term memory pfft, between yeah, blows then, to the skull and alcohol. I can't remember anything. I can't remember where I put my keys after I walked into your apartment today. But I can tell you what. I remember where I was. I, I remember where I was sitting watching Nick Folk. Exactly where I was sitting. I was on the thirty eight yard line watching Nick Folk kick that game winner on Monday Night Football back in the mid the, the late. You know, 
2000 and aughts. Yeah. I re- this team has conditioned me to behave like that. And yeah. yet last night was so much fun. It was fun. It was a fun game. I enjoyed hanging out with everybody. I was loose. And it's hilarious because it was your girlfriend's first experience watching a game with me. Yeah. That was, uh, she didn't have her kid last night. And, uh, it was a late, uh, last minute thing where she was able to come and experience you watching football, which, you know, we made sure that we, to tell her that this is not really true Drew. <laughs> I mean, you she let her know it's been, this isn't the real Drew yeah, here roller coaster. It, yeah, it, get, it can get worse. But the wicker chair is gone. Kyle Trimble, if you're out there listening, yeah, we the, need the more wicker. Is, the chair is gone. Uh, that, that first drive, that first drive did it. The, yeah, uh, we need more The wicker. first drive and then the fumble coming out of the end zone pretty much destroyed that wicker chair. Not me, mind you. The drive. It was Zach, Ma- Zach Moss's fault. Yeah, Zach we Moss. we no longer have a wicker is the, chair. This is the reason. And then, of course, there's the reason for the season. There's the reason that I uh, struggled getting out of bed or doing much of anything today. Prepping for this podcast was um, almost didn't happen. I almost didn't make it here. And yet... In our superstitious way, I don't know. I was well documented last night by me. That it could be the reason that we're sitting here with nine wins, and that's Molson Ice. Listener of the show, Mark Smith, Mark with a C. He shows up at my house with. He said he was going to stop at a gas station and find the cheapest six pack he could find, and boy, did he outdo himself with a six pack of Tall Boy Molson Ice that had dust and hair on the top of the cans because they'd been sitting in the cooler for so long. Like, I, Chris, nobody buys that. You you don't buy that beer. My I, Uncle John would buy it. Your Uncle he didn't he go to jail? I'm sure he's, I don't know if he's been in jail, but I'm sure he's done jail time. I feel like, aside from being 21, like getting carded to buy Molson Ice, they should also ask you what's your criminal record, and if you don't have at least a misdemeanor, you can't buy that beer. But either way... Because we're stupid and superstitious, I opened one on the Bills' first touchdown drive. And Chris mandated, along with the rest of the room, that... Mark wanted you to calm down by having a Molson Ice. And then we just proceed to score a touchdown. So that's just the way it had to be. Every offensive drive, you needed to have a Molson Ice. Yeah, and then what happened? And then the next six drives, we scored points. Which means (laughs) I drank six-pounder... Cans of Molson ice over the course of a three-hour span. I wouldn't say it was exactly three hours, but close to. I genuinely, Chris, I had to take a nap. I was shirtless in my yard debating throwing up earlier today. This is atrocious. Yeah. People don't do and, and I, It's like me when I threw up in that hoodie. I, I asked my wife, I go, well, honey, what what's happening to me? And she goes, I'll tell you what, you idiot. You're old. You're too old for cheap beer. And I said, yeah, but somehow Mark is still alive. <laughs> somehow it, the, the Miller High Life hasn't taken Mark yet. But we survived. We survived and we're nine and three. And I can't wait to talk about it. First of all, the question, what can't Josh Allen do? Give birth. Let's start. Let, let's start there. Josh Allen. As you heard in the intro of the podcast, his name is back in everybody's mouths. He's now being talked about again, for better or worse, Nick Wright. Oh, my God. <laughs> for those of you who have it, please, or who are considering it, don't go listen to the Nick Wright audio talking about Josh Allen not being better than Baker Mayfield. Don't do it to yourselves. It's stupidity of the highest order. Brandon Marshall took him to task over it. 
and he still tried to defend it. This is a guy who's married to stupidity, and I don't know how he gets on TV. Yeah, you'll want to find the nearest number two pencil and just jam it in your temple. Here's what I, I you look at this, Josh Allen. The eight incompletions and two of them were throwaways against a pretty sound, well-coached pass defense, an opportunistic pass defense, and yet Allen was unflappable. They had their early game gaffes. They had that red zone sequence where it didn't make a whole lot of sense. I blame. Do you blame the play calling for that first red zone trip that came up empty? Or do you uh, blame Josh Allen? No, maybe just overall execution could have been better. Me, I, I, I can't blame you, the blame for that at Josh Allen's feet because I look at this and say, stop getting cute. Yeah. Any, any you thing. have playmakers. You have a Stephon Diggs. You have a Cole Beasley. You have a Gabe Davis. Go out there and utilize your best players instead of trying to trick everyone by throwing to a glorified right tackle. Yeah, well, we, we, we all know that you don't. And any offensive woes that we have, you immediately place blame on Brian Dable because you just genuinely don't like the guy. Maybe because he's not at Alabama. <laughs> You'd rather have him as your Alabama OC than your Bills OC. I, I don't know. Here's what I know. I know that Josh Allen made wine out of water all night when it came. I mean, with the play call and Dable did a pretty good job outside of that first red zone sequence. But look at Josh being aggressive. I think that was the thing that surprised me the most about his play was how aggressive, considering you're talking about a defense that seems to thrive on forcing turnovers. He went at them down the field. Now, the plays were very well executed and designed, and something you pointed out that they talked about at the top of the broadcast, that the defensive backs, the nickelbacks, were rookies. Yeah. The nickelbacks were beat up, so they have a rookie starting for them, and you looked at You got a rookie on Cole Beasley. Man, you saw how well that went. But Josh Allen downfield, I mean, when you think about the traditional usage of Cole Beasley in those types of situations, you're assuming, okay... He's on a he's on a young guy, so we're going to try to throw some different looks at him. He's going to beat him on a short route and try to get some yards after the catch, and we're going to hit him on a couple three, four-yard patterns, right? Yeah. Instead, his first completion for three yards, his second completion for 31 yards, and then 35 yards. It was there all day in that first half when they wanted it. But Allen was seeing the field so incredibly well, and when he gets on the move, it opens up that downfield passing. Nobody can hang with a guy like Stefan Diggs for very long. No. I think there's most just put it over the outstretched fingertips of a Fred Warner. Yeah, the linebacker to Gabe Davis. Brian Baldinger had a great breakdown of that play today over on Twitter. If you want to go check it out, uh, his Baldy's breakdowns. But the thing about that was that's a back-breaking play. That's a play that he is a quarterback. He didn't even hesitate. He saw it and he let him. He did the thing Tyrod Taylor would never do. No. Which is, <laughs> I'm going to lead my receiver and I'm going to throw ahead of him and let him run and catch. And throw into traffic. And throw into traffic. But I'm so confident that I'm going to put this ball in the perfect spot. I'm not, I see that linebacker. I'm not scared of him. And he just puts it to where that linebacker can't get it. And you see the frustration on that defense's face as they're standing there looking at each other and Fred Warner is shrugging, looking around at his teammates going, guys, I tried. That was the whole night in a nutshell for their pass defense trying to stop Josh Allen. 
when you're playing with his level of accuracy and mixed in with the play calling we have and the the quality of wide receivers we have, there isn't a whole hell of a lot any defense can do about that. No. And it's it's demoralizing over the course of four quarters. It really is. I mean, early when they were putting a putting a hurting on him, I think that's where this all started, and it just kind of avalanched on them in the second half. Because then all of the eye candy that Brian Dable threw at them early on worked to their advantage. That's another thing I want to touch on here. Brian Dable, you are used to hearing me bet just I don't think I've said if we could keep a ledger, a ledger of unpleasant things versus compliments that I've given Brian Dable over the course of this season, which one do you think is more full right now? I mean, I'm not sure if you've said many nice things about him all season. I, and, and I understand that there's people out there who don't agree with me on this, but you're right. I badger our offensive coordinator for a lot of things. We I, should see if he's available for a, a steak dinner in Cleveland <laughs> in the off season. Well, when I, I lose my bet to Greg Thompson? Yeah. But one of the things, one of the things that I took away from last night is that he's starting to show that with the playmakers we do have on hand, he can get creative. Not only can he get creative, but he throws enough eye candy. Uh, Greg Thompson tweeted it out, and it's it stuck in my mind ever since. I saw it during last night's game. He was using McKenzie sparingly. McKenzie didn't get a whole lot of snaps. I mean, I think if you look at it here, if we go to it, you're going to find out McKenzie really wasn't on the field for much of the game. But with that in mind, when he did get an opportunity, I mean, what, 15% of the snaps, 11 of them. But when he was out there, he was used in a lot of almost like jet sweep motion. Oh, really? Right? Wow, that's inventive. That's all he's good for. Okay. But unlike games in the past where they use that jet sweep motion to just, hey, we're going to get into the red zone and run a sweep to the corner and just hope McKenzie's agile enough to beat him to the pylon. Instead, they didn't run the ball and waited and waited and waited and kind of lulled them to sleep with it and then pulled a little Sean McVay trickery and got him out wide open. Wide open in space on a jet motion and just a little flick of the wrist and he's off to the races to the corner of the end zone. That that oh, I think that was the one to put them up to twenty four. Maybe I don't I don't I can't remember. I mean it's it was yeah it was in the third quarter and that was the one to take them to twenty four. That play right there is indicative of a play caller who not only understands what the defense is doing again a very well coached defense. Robert Soleil for all the people worried about Brian uh, Brian Dable leaving for a head coaching job yeah Soleil is. At the top of everyone's list, as far as the next head coaching candidate, it's just a matter of where he feels like signing. So the fact that he was able to outcoach him throughout the course of the entire game speaks to just what a performance Dable put on, and also just his feel for the finally having having a feel for the talents that we have on hand. Then I want to talk about the offensive line. That offensive line group had never played together before last night. You started, I mean, we've been shuffling it all, all year. You've been shuffling around your offensive line due to both injury and just performance related issues. How much have we as a fan base bashed Brian Winters? All the time. His play has been subpar. He's an average starter at best. And you watch him at least two or three times in a game 
just getting pushed around. I mean, I think the most embarrassing thing I saw was in the Cardinals game where Brian Winters whiffed so badly on his block that uh, Lee Smith shoved him down to take his spot and try to save the play by making the correct block. He just said, look, get out of the way. You're not making anything. (laughs) Get out of the way. You're not making it any better, so you might as well be on the ground. Isn't it embarrassing? It has to be. So then, as we got healthier, Morse comes back from his concussion. Feliciano's healthy. Cody Ford goes down. It left a lot of people going, okay, now what? Now we're going to have to go to another rung of depth on this offensive line, and I don't know what that's going to look like. And what it looked like was one of the best pass-protecting offensive lines we've seen out of this Bills team all season. Now, no, the San Francisco 49ers are without a significant amount of their pass rush talent. On Bosa and Thomas. Line. I mean, you're missing those types of talents. Yeah, it's going to hurt what you're capable of doing up front. But that's a Super Bowl roster with those two, or at least a Super Bowl defensive line. That's reminiscent of the New York Giants when they went up against the Patriots in the Super Bowl with Osi Umanura and Justin Tuck and Michael Strahan. Yeah. That's the type of talent with those three guys, they could carry you to a Super Bowl. So without them, they're still a good defensive line. I mean, they have Kinlaw, who's talented. They have Eric Armstead, who <laughs> hilariously got called for a hold on a wide receiver. If You're a defensive lineman. They coach you to maybe bump people. Don't grab them. Oh, yeah. Is that when he clothesline digs? <laughs> he clothesline digs. Gave him the clothesline from hell. It's like hell. a WWE move. Yeah. It's hilarious. But that line kept Allen clean all night. And because they were able to do it and do it so consistently, it allowed him time in the pocket to stand and deliver and just be aggressive. And that game plan worked. It worked perfectly. It really did. Now, running the ball, it was hit and miss. But hasn't a running been hit and miss all year? Well, yeah, because we got young running backs. Singletary's only got a year of service, and Moss is a rookie. All I know is that what I saw to this offensive line last night, that might be our most talented five. I don't know that there's a way that you go any other direction with that. Who else would you put in there? Certainly not Winters. Can you imagine what that looks like if we have Winters trying to uh, block Kinlaw for long periods of time last night? Yeah, that wouldn't work. What about, um, well, I mean, he's a tackle, Ty and Secchi. Well, Ty and Secchi has been outplayed. I mean, whose job is he taking? Daryl Williams? No. No. <laughs> so with that, where do you put him? Well, could you put him inside if if there was an injury? Why would you just put Winters back in? Why can't you just move I think Secchi they, inside? I think you could, but at the same time, they like Bakker. I wouldn't be shocked if something happened and you had to shuffle. You wouldn't see him. Well, Botker started. I know. And he did very well. I was worried. When I saw him out there, I was like, oh, no. Because I was hoping we would see an Inseki or we would see someone with a little more experience. I was impressed. I was impressed by all of them in a pass protection sense. And they, what, I think the thing that they really did well was they kept... Like, there was a play where Dawkins had a great play because I'm pointing out to Mark. I go, okay, that defensive end is lined up really wide which means he's going to cut that angle and Dawkins is going to have to really slide out in space in order to mirror that guy. Dawkins kills it, but in the process, leaves Bakker on his own. Leaves him on his own against the defensive tackle. And Bakker does a phenomenal job of holding his block so that Allen can step up into that space, allow the play to develop, and find Cole Beasley for, I think it was like a 10 or 12-yard game. It was an impressive play. 
And if that unit can get a little more time together over the next few weeks and gel, maybe we maybe we'll never be a road grader offense in running the football. And maybe that's just how twenty twenty falls for the Buffalo Bills on the ground. But at least we know they can. Our passing game is now the the straw that stirs the drink for us in offense. Yes. And if they can orchestrate it at that kind of a level going forward, it makes me feel so much better about going up against teams like Pittsburgh and going up against teams like the Kansas City Chiefs, who have proven premier pass rushers. The other thing that stuck out to me from a standpoint of, because again, there's no deep analysis coming from a guy who drank a six-pack of Molson Ice and then just had his entire life stripped away from him over the course of the last 12 hours. Chris, I wanted to die this morning. I would I would probably I, I probably too, also would want to die. I was almost too hungover to do this podcast. You I've know never, how much I drink? Yeah, I've never heard of that. No, never. Did I'm 35. I had to go back to college to think about the last time I was this hungover. Yeah, well you think your friends would upgrade upgrade their uh, their beer selection as they got older. Like Molson Ice, okay, yeah, we get it. You're showing up to a party in your early 20s with it. Now you're in your 30s. You can afford to have a little more beer, a, a better, a better ale, a better Mark's a stout. Do you know who Mark in, in his drinking? And actually, I'm going to save this for a second because I have a pretty good analogy for Mark. But the other thing about this team that really stood out to me last night was this wide receiver group and just how far ahead we are now of where I think we've ever been before. This might be the best collection of talent from a receiving perspective. I mean, no John Brown? No problem. Yeah, Gabe Davis? No problem. Picked up the slack? Because we have weapons. We have weapons around the offense. You... uh, 14 first downs between Cole Beasley and Stephon Diggs. And when you look at the way it played out, we threw four of those first downs, went to Cole Beasley on first down. Our our offensive coordinator, we're no longer run to set up the pass. That was, I think, the bane of everyone's existence last season. Everyone got really tired of watching them run Frank Gore on three quarters of our first down attempts. Now we're coming out swinging, throwing haymakers in the passing game on first down because we have the talent to we have the talent to do it in a quarterback who's playing well and an offensive coordinator who's I think really learned how to utilize each of them to their strengths. Yeah, only to think that two years ago we had Zay Jones, Robert Foster, Ray Ray McLeod, Isaiah McKenzie, Deontay Thompson. I mean, <laughs> exactly. That's two eighteen. That was our wide receivers. From 18. That's what Josh Allen was cutting his teeth with. And now Isaiah McKenzie is the only wide receiver left. The only wide receiver left from Josh Allen's first season. That's how far we've come. And last night's game was indicative of that. You've got Beasley out here with 113 yards in the first half. It's like Dable said, okay, I'm going to make their defense make some adjustments right out of the box. And I'm going to attack this rookie in the slot. And he beat him like a drum. And also... He's now owner of one of the funniest touchdown celebrations I've ever seen. I was one of the best I've ever seen. <laughs> just rocking bees to was sleep. Was it Feliciano? Yeah, Feliciano had him. Just rocked him to sleep. What what kind of a what kind of a bear of a human being do you have to be to pick up a wide receiver and rock him like a baby? I don't know. Well, just I don't want to get into a fight with that guy. I can tell you that. No. Well, 
it's uh, quite amusing that that does not get flagged, but Allen spinning the ball at somebody. <laughs> That's a, you can pro- that's rock, a problem. You can backflip in the end zone, and you can rock another man like a child, but how dare you spin that football? <laughs> he also, in, with his performance last night, set the record. Cole Beasley is now the owner of the NFL's record, the most receiving yards for a wide receiver under 5'8 in history. I didn't even know that that was a stat. I, I don't think it is. I think it's one of these stats that ESPN has to make up. Like, this isn't a thing... But we're going to say it because we need something to talk about. <laughs> but it's clearly something cool that Beasley can throw in his jacket. And then you look at Stefan Diggs. Stefan Diggs, all game long, was the alpha. He was the alpha male. Of the, aside from Josh Allen, he was the alpha male on that, in that skill position group. He's out there drawing Richard Sherman most of the time. Drawing Richard Sherman as a matchup. And he did a good job in doing so. Did a good job. I think that he he got the better of him on more than a few occasions. And when you think about it, oh, what I think I was looking at the statistic. Now, uh, what is it? Uh, Cole Beasley and Stephon Diggs are the only wide receiver duo in the NFL with four, with four or more games each of 100 receiving yards. That's pretty sweet. You don't need a John Brown, but you ha- but you have one. Yeah. And look at Gabe Davis filling in. Yeah, that's the role he's getting groomed for. And what, But what I like about Gabe Davis is right now the advantage he gives you is against linebackers and against safeties because they're so much smaller than him, he just outsizes them. How many of his catches last night, Josh Allen throws to a spot knowing, okay, Davis doesn't have a, a great route tree, but he can get to that spot. He can get to that spot, and his hands are really good. And I trust that with his size, if I put it in a place where he's the only one who can get it, he's more often than not going to come up with it. Yeah, he had the great catch that we talk about thrown over the linebacker, and then his touchdown. He was wide open. Oh, he was wide open on that touchdown. I mean, that was sweet. That was a, that, that was a sweet piece of route running, and also just play design. Again, that's the synergy that we're seeing with this offensive group. And on the opposite side of the ball, the defense. The defense had a great night. I think a really great night. I mean, when you get down to it, I mean, <laughs> Edmonds. On that goal line stand. Yeah. Edmonds would set the tone for our defense right out of the box with that tackle. And then he comes in, makes the fourth down play. And although one of my, on the on their very first drive, Mark criticized me, goes, what, Nick Mullins is going to, what, you're scared that Nick Mullins is going to go 98 yards? And he does. He went 97, Mark. <laughs> That's what <laughs> happened. When I'm watching this, as the game's playing out, First of all, Vernon Butler might have had his best game in a Bills uniform last night. Oh, yeah. There was um, our uh, our good friend Russ Brown over at Cover One does the uh, NFL draft stuff. Comes on to talk offensive linemen for the draft. He had a couple of good tweets last night of Butler blowing that A-gap up. But, and what did we say last week in our keys to victory? Creating havoc in those gaps. Because Nick Mullins isn't a great athlete. Was going to it was going to cause problems and miscommunications with their passing game, and that's exactly what you saw. I assumed we were going to see more Ed Oliver. I assumed Ed Oliver was going to be the one who made the flashy plays, but they did a good job double teaming him a lot, and instead it was Vernon Butler. Vernon Butler in his one on ones won them more often than he didn't, and I think that was the difference in the game. I really do. 
I think that our defensive line was able to hold serve against their offensive line. I mean, you heard the statistics on their running backs. It's because they couldn't establish a presence and they were rarely ever getting blockers to the second level. Yeah. Kudos. Vernon Butler is our biggest defensive lineman. Yeah, he's huge. Kudos to that guy for finally asserting himself. I really think that this front seven is coming around, Chris. They need to be. Playoffs are right around the corner. That's what I mean. As the competition gets stiff here over this next next month of football and beyond, it's it's encouraging that week over week we're watching this defensive front seven really build. We know our secondary is good. We know. Congratulations to Micah Hyde for getting his first pick of the year, but we know that that guy's good in coverage. Yeah. We know that Trey White is a good cover corner, right? Yeah. So we know all of these things. But the question mark was always, what's going to happen in the trenches? And can our defense stop being gashed up front by teams that want to run the ball down your throat? And it's it's telling that in the red zone, the 49ers could not run the ball in, in, in for a score. They couldn't. Even though they're in the top 10 for rushing touchdowns. Couldn't do it. Yeah, our friend uh, Eric Turner, he put out a couple of videos, uh, even with some flash plays from A.J. Epinesa. He was pushing the line. It's, I'm telling you what, I, this may be another one of, hey, th- what, do, what do we say all the time? The reason that we have analysts come on our show also all off-season long to preview the draft is because I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. So if I if I don't like a player, odds are he's probably going to be pretty good. Yeah, that's that's AJ, been the history. AJ Epinesa is slowly coming around, and I can't I can't throw any shade. He had he again quietly solid. And that's what you're looking for out of those guys. Get your defensive stars, your Jerry Hughes, your... None of these guys is going to single-handedly win you a football game. There is no Joey Bosa or TJ Watt on this roster. But collectively as a unit, they're finally starting to play together. You're seeing A.J. Klein around the ball more. He's around the quarterback more. He's He's making his presence known over the last month. It's all coming together the way I think they envisioned it, even if it took longer to get there. And last night was just another step in that direction. And you got to be happy about that. You have to be happy about all of this. And so with that, when we talk about Hero and Zero, it was kind of hard for me to pick one. But we, I think we both know, Chris, who the obvious, glaring choice for Hero of the Week was. It's Mark with a C. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence. And nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, you know, I'm just a just a big, hairy American winning machine. That's right, folks. He may be six foot three and only 145 pounds. He may he may look Ethiopian in stature. Um, he may have the beer taste of what high school. I mean, I was going to say, Mark to me is like that guy from the movie uh, um, uh, Matthew McConaughey in Dazed and Confused. Yeah, except that's his taste in beer. Is that? He still drinks high school beers. You want to know why? Because I keep getting older and they just do the same price. <laughs> they just do the same price. And yet he brings this swill over to my house and it ends up in my superstitious mind being one of the reasons that the Buffalo Bills go on to score on six consecutive drives. Yeah, well, we know he's going to be bringing a 30 pack next week. So thank you for allowing me to sacrifice my liver and my dignity at the altar of the football gods. For that, you get a game ball, Mark. And I guess we can throw an honorable mention towards Josh Allen, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many times he's been our hero of the game, but it's it you know it it's almost it loses it's, its steam. You gotta you gotta you gotta give it to somebody new. 
Something that hasn't had it. Speaking of giving something to someone new, we have a guy who hasn't been listed, I don't think, is the zero of the week until now, and that's cornerback Levi Wallace. You folks fell on your face. You get an F minus in my book. Wallace stunk on ice last night. Yeah, and he was bad. Anytime there was like a big play, I think it was thrown his way. I mean, I don't know what how many balls were completed his way, but it felt like that there was there was a good amount of plays that San Francisco had towards Levi Wallace. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that I'm going to chart all of the all of the throws towards Levi Wallace. But here's what you I would do. think you would because he went to Alabama. Well, here's what I do know. I know that when they when they moved everything over and they started shuffling Brandon Ayuk around. I mean, if this if the 49ers had anything going for them offensively, it seemed to be Brandon Ayuk. I mean, he finished the day with 95 yards receiving on five catches and a touchdown. And it seemed like more often than not, when he was out there, he would be lined up against either Teron Johnson or Levi Wallace. They kept him away from Trey White, which is smart. Yeah. yeah if you're a good offensive coordinator, that's what you do. But man, did Wallace just have a bad night. He was... he. It's becoming really clear that as a number two cornerback, we talked about this a little bit in the offseason when we debated who was going to win the number two cornerback job. You said, okay, well, Josh Norman's a little bit limited athletically. Well, so is Wallace. And you saw it on last night when he was asked to cover Ayuk in that he has no lateral quickness, at least not on that scale. And when you play with an all-pro cornerback like Trey White, teams are going to avoid you, and they're going to pick on those other cornerback positions. So you have to have a sound cornerback, too. What, he had the pick that hit him in the chest, and he couldn't corral it? Yep. He had a couple blown coverages. He had some plays where he just got beat off the line, and it was just it was a, it was a bad night. It was a ba- it's hard to get beat off the line when you're not playing man coverage. When <laughs> you're sitting yeah. in the zone, how do you get beat? And yet it happened. He had a rough night, and I'm just hoping it's kind of an aberration and not something that next week's opponent can exploit because... He did go to Alabama. Those Steeler wide receivers are no joke. And I can't... I, 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 it'll be interesting to see how the team addresses that going up against an opponent like Pittsburgh, knowing their proclivity for throwing the ball and how much talent they have. Chris, your final thoughts. My final thoughts... Besides almost puking on the microphone, that was coming up the wrong pipe. That would have been me about three hours ago. Uh, yeah, uh, for me, it was, you know, it was a great game. My parents watched the entire thing, which is beyond me because they're in their 60s. You know, they're in the bed after the local news, generally. And my, my dad, my dad's all about Cole Beasley. <laughs> he, that's like his favorite. Because your dad's a short man. Well, I, I, th- I, you know what? I generally think that my dad uh, thinks that Cole Beasley is. I mean, I haven't talked to him about it. I'm just thinking from because my dad watched a lot of the uh, early '90s Bills, and I think Cole Beasley to him is kind of in the same way of Don Beebe. He's not that first choice like a Lofton or the second choice like a Reed, but Don Beebe was always open and he rarely dropped anything. I mean, I remember there was a game in 91 where he had four touchdowns against uh, Pittsburgh, actually, in week two. But Cole Beasley had a great game. Stephon Diggs had a great game. Josh Allen balled out. I love it when we're balling out on national TV and we get some national recognition. I mean, just tonight as we're doing the podcast, I've seen Adam Shine put out stuff about Josh Allen, even though he's he's been on the Josh Allen train from the get-go. Max Kellerman 
We saw that video. He's he's saying Josh Allen is elite. Oh, is Jesus it elite? It, elite is well, elite as Derek Carr. It's better than Derek Carr. Is <laughs> Derek Carr on steroids? I just love the the national attention we're going to be getting over the next month with uh, some of these primetime games that we have. You know, minus you know whatever Nick Wright says. <sighs> I'll say this. My final thoughts on this football game. Let me wax poetic for a second here. As I'm standing out in my backyard shirtless, I mean, it was probably a bunch, trying not to throw up at probably about 11 o'clock this morning. And it was probably, what, 32 degrees, 31? Yeah, it's pretty cold this morning. <laughs> shirtless, walking around in the yard with both hands on my head trying to breathe. Just ill because as I'm the Molson Ice, just so those of you who don't get Canadian beer, just so you know, go to Beer Advocate and look up Molson Ice. It got scored a 61 out of 100. Like, that's hard to do to be a beer that poor. And yet, as I'm wandering the yard contemplating throwing up everything I've eaten for the last three years, it popped into my head last night was a lot of fun. <laughs> last night was a lot of fun. Going into this one, the Bills were 0 for 9 on Monday Night Football. And that first pair of possessions probably had everybody on the lunatic fringe, such as myself, having Vietnam-style flashbacks. And that's what happened to me. I got, I got sucked back into watching game after game after game. The, the, the fumbles. We talked about it in last week's AFC's Roundup podcast. All of the atrocities that had occurred on Monday Night Football, I was taken back to that moment right out of the gate. And yet, this team, with Josh Allen at the helm, is supremely composed. He truly has learned how to not be rattled. He's unflappable, due in part to the confidence he holds in the offensive line, the skill players he knows run three to four men deep that he can truly rely on. And a play caller who just seems to, if I can put it in air quotes, get Allen. I think him and Dable are probably, they probably have their <laughs> corporate buzzword, they have their best synergy right now, here in this moment. It's a funny feeling, walking away from a primetime football game with so little anxiety. Like, as it's winding down. Think about it, the fourth quarter, everyone was laughing and having a good time in my basement. Yeah. The defense held serve down the stretch, and the lead was so big there was no pressure. The euphoria of our quarterback and skill players' performance. I mean, I even said a few nice things about Dawson Knox, didn't I? You did, shockingly. It wasn't perfect. I mean, obviously there's still issues. I mean, Moss and Singletary need to learn how to hold on to the ball. That, I don't know how you teach that, but it has to happen. A rushing attack as a whole has to improve. And our red zone efficiency on both offense and defense needs some work. But it's telling of exactly how good Buffalo currently is beyond Cole Beasley. Like we were talking about him setting a record. Yeah. So many other Bills hit career or league milestones in this game. Diggs hit the 1,000-yard mark the fastest in his entire career. Tyler Bass, he set the record. He's the first NFL kicker to hit three 50-yard field goals in a single quarter. Against Arizona? Yep. On Monday Night Football, he cemented his place as the highest scoring rookie in Bill's history. Yep. McKenzie set his personal best in touchdowns with three. 
Gabe Davis is the first rookie with back-to-back receiving touchdowns since Sammy Watkins. And he has the same amount of average separation as Cole Beasley. Think about that for a second. You think Cole Beasley's shifty and that he's a good route runner, right? Yes. The book on Gabe Davis was that he didn't run routes well and he only had a few things in his route tree. Good hands, sort of fast, but not a track guy. He gets the same amount of separation as Cole Beasley. They're the only team in the NFL with more touchdowns than punts. Not just a few, 61 scores to 29 punts. Yeah, Bojo only punted once, I think, on um, last night. 68 yards. And Josh Allen is now, on the back of this four-touchdown performance, one touchdown away from tying Jim Kelly for most touchdowns in a single season by a Bills quarterback, and we still have four games. That's incredible. That's what we're talking about, people. This is no longer a hyperbole that this is the best Bills team that we've seen in our lifetime. This is now officially the best Bills team I've seen in my adult life. Cheers. Cheers. Last week, Alan appeared on Pat McAfee's podcast, and they discussed the fact that the talk surrounding the Bills as contenders sort of died off after the beginning of the season. And while Alan played it off, you could tell that it's a tangible thing amongst the team. Something they take personally, as anyone would. Last night's game did a lot, as you heard in the intro, to put our names back in everybody's mouth. And how could you not? I mean, that's what primetime success does for a football team. It gets you talked about because you have the whole country's attention. It gets your players voted. Performances like last night get your players voted into Pro Bowls. It, get, it takes good quarterbacks and makes them nationally visible to the point that they get reinserted into the MVP conversation. With three more primetime games ahead of us this month, the Bills hype bus could reach speeds that I, 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 don't, I don't even know if they would be acceptable down in the South. Now, anybody, anybody who's ever driven on a southern interstate, they get that joke. Yeah, well, it depends on who's, right, who's driving the bus. Is it Keanu Reeves? <laughs> it very well may be. And ultimately, they might not be wrong. We might be contenders. Is it time? time I, mean, for- I, I know right now. Earlier this season, I called it off. I said, hey, listen, now that the pipe dream is over, let's focus on winning the division. How many more wins, though, before you and I start getting out the map of down? And I know my buddy Craig out there right now, he's, he's going to be shaking his head when he hears me say this. Another game like that on primetime TV, can we get out the map, start figuring out the parade route? Just, just, just tentatively looking at it, feeling it out. Can we? No, we can't. Uh, we can start doing that when we win a playoff game. So that's it for you, huh? Yeah. Playoff game? We, you gotta, you gotta, we got to win a playoff game first. All right. Well, I'll tell you this. The hype bus is loading. So if, if it's going to be standing room only and Keanu Reeves is at the wheel, all aboard, baby. And that brings us to the AFC playoff picture week 14. The Bills odds, according to Pro Football Outsiders, AFC East title odds for the Buffalo Bills currently sit at 88.2%, and our overall postseason odds are 96.9. Now, the Bills can't clinch this week. That's got to be encouraging. That's incredible. I've never seen anything like this. Our week 14 rooting guide. First of all, Rams over the Patriots, right? Yes. 
Rams over the Patriots, just by nature of the Patriots are on a roll right now. And you don't want them reinserting themselves into the conversation. You have some tough games coming up. Yeah. You don't want them reinserting themselves into this conversation. They're three back. But if things go poorly and all of a sudden it becomes a three-horse race for the division, that's not a place you want to be. It's just not, especially with a team like Bill Belichick. It would be the it would be peak 2020 if the New England Patriots somehow found a way to make the playoffs after being two and what two and five, something like that. They what won two in a row. <sighs> Ridiculous. And then I go back and forth on this, and I want your opinion. The Chiefs over the Dolphins. On one hand, if the Chiefs win, they extend their lead in the AFC. They pro they extend their lead in the AFC. And then they push the Dolphins back down, which buys us some separation from them in the AFC race, or at least sustains our current margin of one and a half games. On the other hand, if the Chiefs lose, that puts them back a step where if we were to win against the Steelers this weekend, now we're just one game out from the top seed in the AFC. Which of those things is more valuable to you, Chris? I think the Chiefs will beat the Dolphins. You think they win that game? Yeah, I don't. But which do you think we should be rooting for? What's do you want more breathing room in the AFC East race, or do you want a shot at maybe being able to catch them for the top spot? I would preferably like the uh, I don't know what the the what the playoff picture looks like if we finish in fourth or if we finish in third. But right now, I think if we, if, I think if it's fourth right now, we'd be lined up to play Cleveland, Battle of Lake Erie. Give me that. That way, it'll settle it for Nick Wright, Baker, and Josh. Listen, we've talked about this, Chris. The Cleveland Browns and the Buffalo Bills should not be allowed to play football within the lower forty-eight. They shouldn't, because it's like when they tested the when they were testing the hydrogen bombs over at the Marshall Islands. Too many innocent bystanders will get hurt by the disasters that those two teams seem to create whenever they get together. It's a mess. And I don't want to see that, especially not here in Buffalo. Listen, I just put up Christmas lights for the first time on my house. (laughs) My neighborhood is nice. I like the way things are. Do not bring the Cleveland Browns in here to play the Buffalo Bills in our stadium. We live way too close. The proximity is too much. I, I don't know what the consequences will be, but everything is going to go to hell. It's going to be mass hysteria. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resume on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 
73% of online job seekers in the U.S. are visiting Indeed each month. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook expert. As we open the back end of the show, we, as usual, have to talk about Chris's bad bets. Here's an idea. Why don't you give me half the money you were going to bet? And we'll go out back, I'll kick you in the nuts, and we'll call it a day. What can I do with $5? See, I don't know. Buy a bullet and rent a gun. <laughs> Chris was once again a big, a big parlay loser. I had one wrong again. <laughs> Seven of eight weeks You're, in a okay. row. So when I texted you about this, you gave me that you you took Texas A and M minus five and a half. Correct. You took uh, who else? I took Florida on the money line. And then I took um, Iowa State. And I think Iowa State and BYU, I actually bought more points. And then... I moved my line, this, the line myself. So you teased it. Look at you getting complicated. You're getting fancy over here, Chris. And then you bet. And it was hysterical when I saw the final score. I laughed so hard I cried and my wife didn't understand why. Chris bet one of the biggest bad beats of the weekend. BYU, what, minus 13 and a half? Yeah, it was 11. <laughs> Coastal Carolina. And you bought more points. Yeah, <laughs> I did. They didn't just not cover. They lost outright. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think you would lose in college with a uh, NFL prospect quarterback. Aren't they Mormon? They don't have to be. <laughs> what do they know about football? All right, that's probably offensive to some people. But come on, it's BYU. There's a reason they're never ranked. Well, they were. Uh, they beat Boise. I had the Boise early on in the season. Yeah, they were I like, three I, point dogs at home, and BYU wiped the floor with them. Yeah, th- and that would have mattered if you got in a time machine and went back to like 2006, 2007, back when uh, B- back when Boise State was good and Kellen Moore was a quarterback, not a up and down offensive coordinator for the team everyone here in Buffalo hates. <laughs> Folks, don't follow Chris's betting advice. In fact, if anything, the reason I ask him to give what he's interested in the next weekend is because I want you to avoid him because he is the mush. He really is. Chris, what are you looking at this weekend? 
Well, I think it's like title game weekend. So obviously, Florida and Alabama. I haven't looked at the line. I haven't looked at any lines. Maybe I should just stop with college and just go to the pros. Yeah, yeah maybe you should just stop and start bet. What you should do is start betting for all of our opponents. Just do that for the rest of the season. Well, I thought Buff- it would be your equivalent of drinking the Molson Ice. Well, I did say Buffalo was going to beat San Francisco by more than a touchdown. You did. <laughs> with that in mind. We have the Pittsburgh Steelers, which hopefully Chris is going to go down to the casino and put money on. Our Week 15 preview, the Buffalo the Buffalo Bills against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Your time, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard. Place, Bills Stadium in Orchard Park, New York. On the call is going to be L. Michaels and Chris. I would rather listen to horses being rendered for glue, Collinsworth. And the spread. Chris, do you have the spread for me? Uh, I don't. Uh, Pittsburgh is... I think Buffalo's actually moved into being a favorite now. It opened up with Pittsburgh being like a point and a half. Well, that's what I was going to say. I, I know that we were down. We, we were underdogs yeah, for well, some reason in that game. Last I saw we were... Uh, earlier today, we were favored at home by, I think, two points. Apparently, there was a lot of yinzers at the betting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the books early. Jesus. Uh, for the injuries to watch, for Buffalo, we escaped Monday Night Football pretty much unscathed. I mean, the Bills are obviously without wide receiver John Brown due to his placement on the IR, but aside from him, the roster is the healthiest it's been in at least a month. For Pittsburgh, they have issues. Their kicker, Chris Boswell, is dealing with a hip injury. Quarterback Steve Nelson's nursing a knee injury. Their uh, linebacker Spillane and quarterback Joe Hayden both got injured in the, their game last night. And then quarterback Ben Roethlisberger is dealing with an acute uh, case of old. Just old. He missed the whole week of practice prior to the Washington game. When you talk about the 2020 Steelers, the conversation has to start here. The schedule and the record and the question of whether they're quote-unquote real. It's been said a thousand times here amongst Bills fans, and I'm sure it's been tweeted at Steelers fans a few million more. But while 11-0 is now 11-1, it's an impressive... Record the negativity from opposing fans regarding their strength of schedule here in 2020 would seem on its face somewhat dubious. Or at least commensurate with the amount of credit the team is getting by the media because up until last night, uh, Collinsworth took them to task over it. Uh, not Collinsworth, uh, Colin Cowherd, your, your guy. Yeah. He took the Steelers to task. He goes, look, the Steelers are a bad football team. Or they're mediocre. They're a mediocre football team and there's better football to be played. And I think at the time, you could hear the Bills game on in the background. He goes, I'm not wasting any more time talking about this. I'm going to watch a really good football team in the Buffalo Bills. Which obviously made me feel all warm and fuzzy inside, but it underscores something here. (sighs) Are the Steelers real? Is their record a... I mean, they're a talented team, but are they a product of just having a soft schedule? Now, since I'm not a hack, and I feel like any smack talk should at least be well-researched and nuanced, I, I let me lay out the groundwork for what I think, or at least where I think a lot of this overrated talk comes from. Their 22nd in total offense is the worst of any current playoff team, AFC or NFC, outside of the Miami Dolphins. That's a problem, right, Chris? Sounds like it. They're a top 10 scoring offense but are just 19th and 13th in the third and fourth quarter, respectively. 
that's just fifth best in fourth quarter scoring of any AFC team currently holding a playoff spot. Now, obviously, they're designed to lean on the defense to win a lot of their games. And at the same time, their team is the number one scoring defense, yet they played seven teams ranked 23rd or lower in points per game through 13 weeks. In fact, only one of their games came against a top 14 scoring offense up until this week's matchup with Buffalo. Their team is number one in passing defense. But they've only played two quarterbacks who have completed more than 64% of their passes, and they've only beat one team ranked higher than 17th in passing. And they have six wins against teams in the bottom 10 for passing yards per game as of this week. And when you take all of that defensive success and mediocre competition and you look at the end result, the Steelers are 11-1 now. Four of those wins were single score down to the wire. Last two possessions of the game victories against teams that had four or that currently hold four or fewer wins. For the first time in franchise history, the Steelers needed to erase back-to-back double-digit deficits at the beginning of November in order to stay unbeaten, which, albeit to non-playoff teams in Dallas and Baltimore. Last night's game against Washington was a perfect storm microcosm of all of these things. Look, their failure to score, they, they scored 14 points in the first half and scored a field goal for the rest of the game. Yeah, that's very un-Pittsburgh-like. Their, their failure to score in the second half, the lack of defensive composure against teams with a top 10. They haven't played a wide receiver in the top 10 for receiving yards outside of last night in Terry McLaurin. Guess who had a monster game against him? Terry McLaurin. They get touted as being this elite squad, but they haven't played any real competition. And when they did, they lost. It blew their unbeaten streak. Against another 4-7 and seven team. <laughs> so with that, it makes it difficult to understand how this team is so highly regarded when there's clearly warts. This isn't just me reaching for the sake of podcast fodder. There are real problems here. And the talk about them being phonies is starting to pick up steam. So to speak to that dynamic a little bit, we have tonight's guest... Mr. Joe Kuzma from the Steel City Underground Podcast. Joe, how are you feeling today? <laughs> well, specifically today is uh, not a victory Tuesday for my team. So, uh, you know, I'm indifferent to everything. I'm sure you guys are going to cover some of that. So I guess uh, I guess I'm as good as I can be. And if I complain, uh, well, I don't think anyone's going to care anyways <laughs> other than myself. Yeah, there's not – Bill's fans aren't known for being sympathetic – to other fan bases. <laughs> it's just not our thing. I mean, if it's any consolation, I feel awful today, too, except mine was self-inflicted. Mine was all self-inflicted. So as we're talking about just the run-up to the 11-0 record you guys kind of staked and just the flawed nature of the approach and all the talk about how your team was overrated heading into last night's game, which I'm sure has only intensified now that you've lost a game to the 4-7 and Washington, the Washington football team. Let's make sure we get that, you know, make sure we hit that one on the head. I guess the question is, is there any fear right now amongst the Steelers faithful that there's some merit to these claims? That this iteration of the Steel City's finest might be some, might be 
high, more highly flawed than you guys gave them credit for in terms of playing top flight competition. No. Um, well, I'll say yes and no, because there are some people out there that uh, would find reason to complain if they won the Super Bowl because they wouldn't have won it by enough points or they wouldn't have done it perfectly. So, And I'm sure uh, you experience that. Maybe every fan base has those types. Uh, I, I could tell you that with the Steelers, there's nobody out there that was thinking anything of 11-0 and 0 off the bat. You know what I mean? And... You know that's quite surprising on its own. Eleven and one. You, you know, a lot of people were talking about where might the first loss occur. Um, I did not particularly care for the matchup in the way that the schedule was reshaped against the Washington Football Team as well. A lot of people were already looking ahead um, to you know Sunday night's game with the Buffalo Bills as a potential uh, maybe first. Uh, what do you want to say? I don't want to necessarily say test because you know what when you win eleven games in a row. Uh, that's a heck of an accomplishment, and you can't take that away from any team. You can only play the games that are scheduled or put in front of you. Were some of these teams so-so here or there? Yes and no. I mean, when you get somebody that comes out on the field, you get a quarterback uh, twice, uh, somebody like a Jeff Driscoll or a, a Garrett Gilbert, and you have no film on them, uh, they can have the element of surprise. Duck Hodges had that element of surprise pretty much all the way up until they played you guys last year. And, you know, they, they saw some tendencies and they got to see what the guy wasn't wasn't doing well. And the defense propped some of that up. And you're, you're going to have those type of things. You're going to have those type of games. I, I just think the thing that boils people more when it comes to being Steelers fans is how everyone acts as though the Kansas City Chiefs are, you know, perfect by <laughs> some means. And then they have a sort of schedule that – they haven't really beaten a whole lot of teams soundly, and they have played some, you know, kind of stinkers on their own too. So everybody's going to have that. You saw what happened with the Giants and the Seahawks, and it's just—I think it's one of those—it's one of those weeks, uh, you know, of, of football. It's the any given Sunday or Monday or Tuesday or whenever the well, heck. We playing. we played. Not only was our schedule kind of jerked around. I mean, I'm not trying to take anything away from the Steelers. You guys have gotten the short end of the stick this entire season as it pertains to the impact of COVID on your scheduling. The Buffalo, oh, yeah. the Buffalo Bills got jerked around a little bit, kind of in the early goings of the season. And you saw it take an effect. It had a negative impact on us. And, in fact, you talk about the Kansas City Chiefs. We played, as a football team, probably one of the ugliest games on both sides of the ball that we've played against Kansas City. And we were a, a called turnover away from potentially winning that football game. So, oh, yeah, it, yeah. And, and not only that, and that's another thing. Washington football team's better than their record, I think. Some people are saying you are what your record is. They've played, they played some close games. They've got a great uh, defensive front there. You can't take away that. Now Alex Smith has come back. They've kind of settled down the quarterback situation. They, they did have a rookie running back who got hurt in that game, uh, but they also had you know a full complement there with McKissick and Gibson who got hurt. So there were some things there were matchup type things. There were, there were mistakes made by the Steelers where they beat themselves definitely. Uh, fourth down, not being able to score, not being able to convert. Uh, six drop passes. They now lead the league in drop passes, which that's what's more or less concerning. A lot of people give the offensive coordinator, Randy Fickner, a, a lot of uh, their venom, so to say, but his play calling could be more creative at the same time when it 
when the plays are called and the guys are wide open and you have somebody just drop a ball that's right at their hands, you're not executing. You're not moving the change. You're not extending drives. Uh, the running game is another situation with the Steelers. I'm sure that would come up. Uh, I'm sure you're going to talk about that in a second, so mm-hmm. I'll get to that. But uh, I think you saw something <clears throat> about like points per game or offense and stuff like that. To be completely honest, up until you got to this Baltimore game that was kicked around and played on a Wednesday, the Steelers had scored 20, at least 24 in every game and only 24 once. The rest were 26 or more, which was a franchise record. The offense was actually scoring more points than any Steelers offense had even back to Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, Martavis Bryant, and the Killer Bees. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard to believe because you would have games then where it's like, why is this team only scoring like 10 or, or 17 points? They're not even getting 20 points, and we think they should be getting 30. Then they might put up 40 in a game, and it kind of skews the yearly uh, statistics there. But up until this point, so yeah, getting the schedule screwed around, I think you know Buffalo obviously got it there with the Titans. The Titans screwed everything up early. Steelers practiced that week, week four, preparing to play the Titans. And then they said, oh, no, well, this is going to be your bye week. So they didn't actually get any rest. They didn't get a bye. And now they haven't had any rest the whole way through. You get all the way to where they're supposed to play Baltimore on Thanksgiving, a Thursday night game, right? And they're going to play on a short week. They played Jacksonville about as well of a game plan as you could put together to give players rest. I think they only ran like 50-some defensive plays. And they started bringing in a lot of uh, backup players, offense, defense. They were ready to play that Thursday night, play at home. They don't have to travel on the road, get a division rival, et cetera, et cetera. And this game gets kicked almost a week, sends everything out of disarray. It's like they're practicing on one day. One day they're watching film and practicing, then they're not practicing. Is it? Are they playing? And finally they play this game and they have a short week and Washington gets a little bit more – of rest and they play on a Monday and now like this was something <laughs> where the Steelers could have had that advantage they could have had that mini buy play in Washington and then they would have had this extra day you know Buffalo would have been playing the Monday night game as they mm-hmm. just did Steelers would have been playing on Sunday so there may have been a little bit of uh, an advantage I know the Steelers are hitting the road to go up the Buffalo so uh, all that's wiped out and there's been some injuries I think that are have occurred because of this uh, haphazard season. Obviously, every team. You've seen a lot of like ligament and knee injuries and stuff. Well, it's it's league, interesting. So. We actually, yeah. um, we actually are. We kind of do this thing where we've been charting over the course of these off seasons over the last few years the uptick in soft tissue injuries as it relates to reduced practice time, and we do it alongside a doctor of uh, orthopedic medicine, and he runs a website called BangedUpBills.com, and we speculated coming into this season that it was going to be really interesting to see how dramatic that uptick in injuries was without a preseason and without some teams getting the benefit of all of the practice time that maybe they should, practice time get, or time in the facility, getting treatment when they need it. And you're seeing that play out around the league, and you're right. that We talked about injuries. The Steelers are definitely feeling the brunt of that. Now, it's funny you mentioned you are what your record says you are. At 11-1, and one, that means that the Steelers are still a damn good football team, and it means that the New York Jets belong in the MAC East with the University of Buffalo. That's what that means. <laughs> so when we look at the Steelers ahead of Sunday's matchup, you touched on a few things there that I want to dive into as it relates to how you how you foresee the team approaching their matchup with the Buffalo Bills. I mean, to casual observers, people may not know this, but the Steelers haven't fielded a rushing attack in the upper half of the NFL since 2016. You were 14th in the league that year. And when you look at attempts, 
that makes sense because over that time span, the last four years, you guys haven't been ranked any higher than 17th in rushing attempts. And that number's been skewed even farther this season, where right now you guys are, you run, I think, 20 or 20th or 21st in attempts in the NFL, and your yards per carry are in the basement at 27th. So it seems like the offense truly does flow through Ben Roethlisberger at this point, and you guys are very pass-heavy in that regard. Does it concern you that it makes you guys one-dimensional? Uh, yes, uh, we've almost figured out a formula here on our end that, uh, especially between twenty twenty-five touches with the running backs, and that's just that's just touches. If you get the running backs the ball in the passing game, then I'll count that as a touch. That's the way that the offensive coordinator Randy Fickner is uh, viewing that and has viewed that over the years. Um, this is his third year as offensive coordinator. Obviously, last season is kind of a wash with 8-8, eight and eight, not having been uh, for all but a game and a half. So, yeah, it's concerning. And a lot of people are diehard, old-school you know, Steelers fans, Franco Harris, Rocky Blyer, <laughs> Bam Morris, Barry Foster, uh, Jerome Bettis, obviously. The Jerome Bettis smash mouth football. Yeah, Willie Parker. So, yeah, oh, Willie well, Parker. Willie Parker. You say you know, that name that, around here and people yell. People throw things. Willie Parker. <laughs> well, uh, that's kind of interesting you bring that uh, bring that name up specifically because it's almost the way there's a lot of parallels between that 08 Super Bowl team and the one that's playing right now. Uh, nobody thinking that an undrafted guy like Willie Parker carry the load there. They had Mowelde Moore, who was more of a third down back. So there's really not the, – the bell cow thing's kind of skewed. James Conner was doing quite all right, and then you got into this disarray with the schedule, even uh, a little bit more, uh, more so, I want to say – you get after the Ravens game, or around the we'll say with the starting with the Ravens game. So you're in week eight, or already six games in. They were doing just fine with running the ball, but there were some interesting things going on there. Like David DeCastro had been injured in the in the preseason or training camp, and I'm not quite sure he's entirely over whatever was ailing him. They had a rookie uh, fourth round pick. Evan Dotson, who came in, and they were running well when he was in that lineup. They, now that he's not in that lineup, seems like they have some problems. But, yes, I think some of this also correlates with uh, you had an offensive line coach, Mike Munchak, who went to Denver a couple seasons ago. Uh, you lost a second-round right tackle who couldn't stay healthy and Marcus Gilbert eventually off the team. Longtime starter Ramon Foster at left guard, uh, replaced by an undrafted uh, guy who played right tackle last year in Matt Filer. And, of course, these last Last couple of games, uh, they did not have Marquise Pouncey. They did not have Connor, both of them on the COVID lists. Uh, the guy who's replacing Pouncey right now had been getting pushed around these last couple of games. He didn't even know he was going to start until the day of that Baltimore game. I oh, think it was geez. like four hours before kickoff. Yeah, they announced that Pouncey's going to be put on this list, and he was an Alliance of American football player at that point. So, well, this is the thing that yeah. I find. This is the thing I find truly interesting as it relates to how we're going to have to prepare to play you guys on defense. You just look at what's a small microcosm of this. The Steelers play the Ravens, and they go in there, and you guys run a little bit of, I don't want to say base, because I don't see the Steelers running a lot of base offense. There's not a lot of 12 and 22 personnel packages. What I see out of you guys is that you guys do try to run out of passing formations a lot. And I think that with no Derek Watt on the field and uh, your issues at center, some of the offensive line shuffling, that hasn't been as successful as you would like. 
But I was reading an article over at footballfilmroom.com, and they were talking about how in the first half of the game, their game against the Ravens, you guys had just 64 total yards. And out of that, you only really ran spread formations three out of 21 snaps for empty formations. And so then you guys really went with that heavily in the second half, and it's kind of what helped you move the ball and kickstart your offense. Got some scoring. You guys were able to generate some yardage. Do you expect more of that against the Buffalo Bills, knowing that our defensive front is kind of starting to gel now? Our defensive line is starting to play the cohesive unit, which you're talking about you know, not having practice time, missing the preseason. That group took longer than I think people expected to gel, given the money we've spent. And now that our, our front is playing pretty good football, do you expect to see more like a heavy dose of spread offense with a lot of wide receivers in the field? Well, it's kind of an interesting question and uh, something that I gloss over with the run game stuff. It has to, this goes with the play calling, too. Not only the neglect of actually attempting to run the ball. I don't even know what was there, 16 carries on Monday night uh, total yeah. between all of the backs, I believe. <clears throat> and obviously not for very many yards uh, because it's almost like it's just abandoned. And uh, part of the problem is if you go into like the next gen stats type stuff and things like that, it's almost like a 50 50 split on first down. If you go um, first in 10 or, or, or fewer to gain, uh, they'll flip a coin. It could be a run or a pass. After that, it's pass, pass, pass. It's like three to one, four to one type ratios. And it drives me crazy. It, it does drive me crazy. Uh, it's not as though the Steelers don't have you know four legitimate receivers they could have out there. Uh, and Eric Ebron is a tight end. Vance McDonald, they don't throw to a whole lot. He's more of a blocking style guy. Derek Watt and the Steelers, when it comes to a fullback, even going back to Roosevelt Knicks, those guys maybe see five snaps in a game. It's usually like a goal line type situation, unless you're talking again about some – I don't know. I don't know if it's the aggression. I don't know if it's trying to outsmart the other team. The, the play calling hasn't been creative or it's creative at the wrong times and you're not going to your playmakers – then again, some of the playmakers like Deontay Johnson and Eric Ebron are dropping the, the passes. Well, and that's what I was going to say is with all these <laughs> drops, it seems to be coming from everybody not named Juju Smith-Schuster, which when that's happening, it makes you guys easier to defend. I mean, I'm looking at Ben Roethlisberger here. Is he, is he aging like wine or is he aging like beer? That's the question. Uh, depends on the beer you want to age. If it's a stout, I think I think Ben's doing just fine there. You know what? Most of these passes are on the money. Ben's like completion percentages have been, you know, he hovers around 70% in some of these games. He could be up in the 80s, which is like just ridiculous. I, and I get some of it's a little dink-dunk short passing game. Well, that's what I want but- to ask you about the construction <laughs> of this passing attack because for all the heavy passing this team does – I look at the numbers, and here's what I see. He's failed to eclipse 270 yards passing in all but three games. And his turnovers over the last couple weeks have been concerning. I don't know how much of that's just the fault of the wide receivers or how much is his fault because I don't... (laughs) I'm not going to say that I go over everything with a fine-tooth comb because there's not enough beer or time in the world. He has a negative score, according to NFL Next Gen Stats, for aggressive passing percentage, which means he's making a lot of throws to open guys kind of near the line of scrimmage. He's not really throwing into coverage that often. He's literally at the bottom of the NFL for starting quarterbacks in average air yards, which, again, speaks to yeah, this concept let's, let's of ex- keeping it close Well, that explains why they're not doing the run game, too. Um, you know, coming out of the shotgun or trying to keep Ben upright, keep everyone off him. He hasn't been sacked in like three, four games. Mm-hmm. Um 
they what they got is they got guys in space. If you saw Monday night, the 50-yard touchdown pass to James Washington, uh, that's in space. James Washington spins out of a tackle. I forget which corner was uh, covering him. Spins out of a tackle, another would-be tackle by the safety that was there for help. Also whiffs, and it goes, it goes you know, for a touchdown. And they try and get Deontay Johnson in space like that. I, I guess they expect Eric Ebron to bull some people over the same way or Juju. So a lot of it is a lot of quick short passes but when they go downfield uh the one thing that's kind of ignored in those statistics because it doesn't get tallied is how who leads the you know um league and drawing these defensive pass interference calls and it's chase claypool he's practically uncoverable and he's drawn at least one or two every game if those even go for completions they probably go for scores and uh, and gobs of yards, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're looking at some of those statistics being in the bottom, no longer in the bottom. So I think it's a little deceptive uh, in that manner. But again, it goes back to some of this play calling. I, the one thing I do see, or I don't see, I should say, with the Steelers is it seems like they're not throwing around, uh, they're not attacking the middle of the field effectively. A lot of stuff. The turnover with Ben. Uh, Monday night was, again, trying to hit Eric Ebron just in the flat, almost like a quick out toward the sideline, which made no sense because they had still had uh, at least a timeout and a two-minute warning to work with in order to make up three points uh, or try and win the game. Sweat bats it, goes up in the air, it's picked off. Uh, you've had um, – I'm trying to think. Like Ben hasn't thrown a lot of legitimate interceptions this year. Uh, there was one that was basically like – they could have punted the ball away. It was one he just threw deep, you know, how those plays go, and it gets chalked up for an interception. So it's not as though he's making a lot of mistakes. This isn't like rewind to 2017, he throws five interceptions against the Jaguars at the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. It's, it's nothing like that. Or forcing passes, uh, you know, to Antonio Brown and getting stuff picked off. I'm not seeing that or getting that same type of vibe from Ben Roethlisberger and the turnovers. So uh, I, I think a little bit of that is skewed. The only th- I think the thing that's most concerning is, is do you want a guy who's, what, 38 years old now and just had the elbow surgery and the rehab throwing the ball 50 times in a game? I certainly don't want to be seeing that, especially heading into December football when you have like four games left. This is the time where you're usually starting to – get physical, push people around and run the football, and that's the thing that the Steelers aren't showing right now. Well, and especially not when you're going up against an opportunistic secondary with safeties like we have. I mean, these guys, they ball hawk. I mean, there's pretty... I'd say everybody except for Levi Wallace, who... <laughs> he, was, he was our zero of the week on the podcast for, for our recap of the game last night. I, the guy, he's just had a rough year, but outside of him... Our defensive backs are fairly opportunistic, and that's not what you want. I just feel like it would be counterintuitive to try to approach it that way. How big is the loss of Bud Dupree? Obviously, you guys lost the game last night. He's a huge... He allowed T.J. Watt to get kind of freelance more than he probably can now. He's going to have to take on some new responsibilities. I guess not so much how big of a loss, but how do you foresee the team trying to replace the pressure that he brought? Well, you're not going to replace uh, Bud Dupree. That's just a, that's just a fact of life right there. Um, and it took Bud Dupree a little while. I was always a big defender of him. Uh, he had been in a rotation his rookie year. Then he had missed half of his season on IR his second year. So he appears to be a late bloomer, but that, a lot of that was opportunity and experience or lack thereof until he finally started getting on the field. And TJ coming along 
really helped his development as well. Uh, th- these are both guys that were, you know, no double-digit sack guys last year. Dupree would have been right there with them. But along the rest of that defensive front, though, you still have Cam Hayward. You still have yes. Stephon Tuitt. Now you have a rookie uh, out of Charlotte and uh, Alex Highsmith, high-motor guy, was getting some playing time, a little unheard of when it comes to Steelers' defense as a guy uh, this young or uh, new to the game and smaller college, uh, no less, getting getting some significant snaps or reps here or there. So this was his real first game playing. And uh, I got to say, it didn't really look like he was a liability out there. What really hurt was, uh, especially against Washington, was starting to lose. He didn't have Steven Nelson, one of the starting corners. Joe Hayden gets hurt and the game goes in concussion protocol. Robert Splane, who's already a guy that's been counted on to step into large shoes with Devin Bush, who went down with an ACL earlier in the year, also goes out of this game. So you had a lot of things to make up for. Now the good news is is that most of those guys, we'll see if uh, Hayden comes out of concussion protocol, but they're counting on everyone but Spillane uh, to be back, including Pouncey and Connor uh, for Sunday's game. They're thinking that uh, those guys will be eligible and back. So on the defensive side, it's, you know, Mike Tomlin doesn't want to make excuses. It's the next guy up. Mm. A door opens for another well, player. Well, you guys have an incredible amount of depth. That's one of the things that I see when I look at your roster. And I've been laughing over the last few weeks because it's rare that you see a team be so statistically dominant on defense and so loaded with talent have to work so damn hard in order to get a W. I feel like (laughs) the defense has been killing itself trying to get you guys to victories. But that's the case with the 2020 Steelers. And, I mean, we understand here, Chris maybe doesn't because he's new to – he's learning X's nose of football, but – not from you, though. <laughs> Not from me, because I don't have the patience to teach him. But, but when it oh, com- that's great. i got to use that on my co-host, Brian. <laughs> when it comes to how the Steelers are going to approach this, we pretty much have – we know what the book is on them. A lot of man defense, which allows their front seven to do work in, the, in pass rushing and kind of clogging up running lanes. And then you obviously have that chess piece, Minka Fitzpatrick, that you're going to move around, and he's going to play some man. He's going to play some zone. And he's probably the most opportunistic member of your secondary. With all of that, I'm just wondering, schematically, is there anything you, they're going to have to change about the way they operate now with some of these injuries that they're having? Or do you still foresee them being able to roll the same? Because Josh Allen has made, you saw the approaches that teams have taken against Josh Allen have been interesting to watch. First, at the beginning of the season, people were trying to blitz Josh. And I think he threw seven touchdown passes against the blitz. So then teams said, okay, let's, don't do that. Let's play zone. And that worked for a little while. And then you go into a game like last night where Cole Beasley has 113 yards as a slot receiver in the first half because they decided to play kind of a passive zone defense, hoping that would buy their front seven some time. Schematically, how do you think that this team is going to try to approach slowing down Josh Allen? Oh, man. I, I honestly wish I would have got to catch a little more than the last three minutes of your game yesterday on short notice here to record. I could have saw a little mm-hmm. more. Um, from what I've glanced with Buffalo, uh, there's going to be uh, quite quite a bit to do there. I mean, Cole Beasley has certainly ascended and had a great season so far. By, but also, I'm going to assume because Stefan Diggs is out there in another body that has to be covered. It really all depends on how healthy the Steelers' defense is. I will not feel as comfortable telling you if and now Cam Sutton's playing a heck of a game, and you know he's in the final year of a rookie contract, but he's not usually a starting 
outside corner for the Steelers. And Justin Lane, who's a second-year player, also filled in in this game. I will not feel comfortable with those guys necessarily in those roles over Steven Nelson and Joe Hayden out there on Sunday. You put uh, Steven Nelson and Joe Hayden out there, then you've got a little bit more flexibility in terms of what you're going to be able to do on defense. I don't think they change a whole lot, to be completely honest, even compared to what they did last year. Even with Alex Highsmith in for Bud Dupree, uh, even having uh, not having Robert Spillane, okay, there's Vince Williams, there's Avery Williamson, who they traded for from the Jets, but uh, those guys uh, often come off the field. They've been using Marcus Allen, who they redesignated from a safety position. Uh, he played safety at Penn State and had been actually on and off like the active roster and practice squad up until this year, where he's found a role as kind of a hybrid-type dimebacker. I think those are the type of things the Steelers are going to be utilizing. I think it was far more detrimental to them on defense when they didn't have Tyson Alualu for a few games in the middle of this season. Also, Mike Hilton, the nickel corner, cannot be understated. He plays a lot bigger than his size. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could also have to watch out for him blitzing. He's uh, he's a tyrant against the run. He's a tackling machine as well for his size. He'll go right up against a tight end. He does not care. He, the guy thinks he's, you know, I don't even know what I want to say, like about 6'3", 240, and he's like 5'11", 5'10", 5'11", and a buck 80 or something like that. So uh, provided so everybody's healthy there, I, I don't know they change a whole lot on uh, defense. Again, we talked about the offensive woes, and I think that's where they got to make some dramatic changes there. I think the defense, provided you don't have a whole lot of new bodies and new faces, if you end up having a lot of new faces, then obviously you're probably going to have to yeah. dumb it down quite a bit, and that's going to it's going to hurt their uh, effectiveness oh, uh, with the pass rush, etc. We we were talking about this from last night's game. Allen was eight of nine attempts for 15 or more air yards down the field. He completed on eight of nine with two touchdowns. He's aggressive, and our coordinator really has kind of taken the reins off of him and allowed him to. You'll see him buy time with his legs, and that's when he's dangerous is when he gets out on the edge. So I'm assuming that's going to be part of the game plan is T.J. Watt, maybe not. I mean, obviously he's a pass rusher, but you need to hem him in the pocket rather than letting him extend plays. Because that's what led to so much damage against the... I mean, the 49ers had one of one of the NFL's better pass defenses. And they have two supremely talented cornerbacks. And yet, down the field all night, because their safety tandem couldn't keep pace. Is there a weak link in your safety tandem that you worry about on those deep passes that Josh likes to huck around? A lot of people are going to say Terrell Edmonds, but I, I don't necessarily feel that way, and mm-hmm. I think his role is a lot different than most people look at. He's not a guy that uh, really blitzes a whole lot. They did send him on one yesterday, which was you know kind of surprising, <laughs> uh, but it doesn't happen often. Um, Minka Fitzpatrick uh, kind of is the guy that you got to watch out for there, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, if you got the the main uh, DBs out there as far as Nelson Hayden and Hilton. He's I don't think there's really a whole lot of weak links. I mean, I'm talking to you guys, uh, Tremaine Edmonds, you know, yeah. guys, brother. These guys are freak athletes. Whatever was in the water for those Edmonds boys, they're like the Watt kids. <laughs> well, we'll, think, we'll same, think about it. The Their father thing. was a football player. Their mother was yeah. a track star. And between yeah. all three of their kids grow up to be NFL football players, that damn, that, that's damn good stock right there. <laughs> I mean, if you to your point, yeah. if you could bottle some of that, I know I'd take a few. I'd take a few swigs. Yeah, absolutely. Why not? Uh, but you're going to get drug tested if you do that. So. <laughs> um, 
But you got the, you know, there's a, again, what is this, the three brothers type thing, just like they had uh, with the Steelers playing J.J. Uh, Watt and mm-hmm. the uh, Texans earlier. And then last year this happened again, too. So this is kind of cool uh, having all these guys on the field. But I, my point is, is I think Edmonds, a lot of people look and they say, oh, he's a first-round pick. He doesn't have a whole lot of this, that, or the other thing statistically. But he still does – he still knows his role. He's still very athletic. Uh, it's – a lot of people will say he's the weak link. I think the weak link in the defense specifically is definite. It, it's the inside linebacker stuff. It's it's seeing Ryan Shazier go down a few years ago and totally kill their opportunity at what they were thirteen and three to finish that season and uh, what had the second uh, the second round or the they had the buy next or the second seed I should say with a buy and you know it kind of started to fall apart toward the end of that year and I think that's the sour taste that's in a lot of Steelers fans still sitting there simmering in the back of their head is when they lost Devin Bush or when you start to lose some of these players you don't want to see the same thing happen again because it's like you you feel like you're a team of destiny and all of a sudden it starts to slip away as you're losing players on injured reserve and and things of that nature so uh yeah you know vince williams a a thumper even when spillane may have been in there a thumper guys have awareness but they're not necessarily cover guys that's not their strength they're they're not sideline to sideline that's what devin bush was that's why the steelers moved up to get him that's why he was the defensive play caller entering his second year now you know he kind of was in a rotation last year so losing him they've had to make up for that over this period of time as well Uh, that's about where i see it you know when it comes to the weakness there the the guys up front even with highsmith in for dupree uh, to it, Hayward and Watt. Watt still, I had this up for you, and I, and I lost it already numbers-wise. I think he had four hits on Alex Smith on Monday night, and he had the one sack, and he had the forced fumble that he didn't fall on. They had a few splash play opportunities that uh, they didn't convert on. They, they had their hands on maybe two interceptions, and then there was another one that was a one-handed catch. Those are all the things – combined with playing poorly, dropping passes, getting penalized, stalling drives, not running the football where they shoot themselves in the foot. And those are things they got to clean up. There's not a whole lot of time. There's not a whole lot of time for improvement here. And then you're going into a game with a nine and three Buffalo Bills team on the road at their, at their house. Shame. You guys don't have fans. It's like we don't because <laughs> they, the place would be rocking. I'm sure Bills fans have uh, missed out on the best home slate of games in the last 15 years. It's, oh, I, I've been a season ticket holder for ten years, and we've. It's this is this was the reason that you held on to your tickets for that long through all those terrible years of football, and it's it leaves a bad taste in your mouth knowing we're missing it. As I'm sure Steelers fans feel the same way watching their team go undefeated. Now, before we let you go, real quick, how important you're you're eleven and one. Okay, you're tied for first place in the AFC, but philosophically, both in the minds of these players in the minds of the fan base, how important is it to the Steelers to come out and win this football game and not fall to 11-2? and two? Well, right now I would say um, they're trying to – they're in an arms race, not only with you guys and needing to have a tiebreaker should it come to something like that, uh, but also you're looking at the Chiefs who have the same record. However, the Steelers – lost to an NFC opponent versus an AFC opponent. So losing to an AFC opponent, it's important. It's a primetime game. Uh, this is It's practically a playoff game. So mm-hmm. you you got to think to yourself, let's put it in the other shoes uh, and not a win. Let's say it's a loss. Now it's starting to get in the back of your head all those things that you were bringing up earlier about 
are they really 11 and 0 or are they the worst 11 and 0 team and all these other things you know that perception might start to manifest into a reality unfortunately we saw that happen back in 2018 where they just started to fall apart at the end of the season and they lost to like the Broncos and the Raiders and you know they had a skid there so uh, you look at um, you look at the Chiefs basically the Steelers control their own destiny because when you look at the Chiefs they have the Dolphins Saints Falcons and Chargers and, you know, the Chiefs kind of control their destiny, too, and that's the arms race right there. Unfortunately, you guys had the Hale Murray that happened, or you would probably be a little bit closer in this discussion. You're probably looking at the, the schedules the same way, like who can knock these teams off? And I know Chiefs fans are probably looking at, at the Bills and saying, help us out here. We're looking at the Saints in a couple weeks and saying, help us out here and things of that nature. So uh, the wins are still uh, important. Uh, I think I think the teams – all these teams, these three teams here in this discussion have to win out in order to have a shot at the only buy that's going to be available for this pl- this new playoff format. Chris, our guest just talked about the Buffalo Bills being in the running for the number one seed <laughs> in the AFC. I feel like that's a fantastic place to leave this. That's a good feeling, and I don't want to I don't want to besmirch it. <laughs> I want to walk I, away oh, from I love the word with that. I want to walk away with that feeling. Joe, why don't you tell all of our listeners what you guys have going on at Steel City Underground this week as we run in the run-up to this week's matchup? Well, hold on one second. I got another feel-good for you. How good does it feel that the New England Patriots aren't first in your division? <laughs> We're petty. We're in, we are the pettiest Bills podcast. That's kind of our brand. And I'll tell you, it all, it feels almost as good as being a winning team. I'll tell you, I like seeing it too because just uh, seeing like the Jets and the Dolphins roll over for years, and <laughs> you, you know the Dolphins would, and you guys would get like the a win here or there, but it was just kind of like I just got tired of seeing it. They just walk right into the postseason, so it's good to see them kind of uh, licking their wounds a little bit. But uh, basically, we'll uh, we'll be doing a little bit of the pregame stuff either later in the week, Thursday or Friday is usually what we aim for, particularly with the Sunday night football game. Don't believe we have any special guests lined up at this point, but never know. Somebody may pop up here or there. Uh, otherwise, it's just myself and my co-host Brian uh, over at SteelCityUnderground.com, and then you can find all the other ways you could listen to us, including our YouTube channel. All right, and you can go follow Joe Kuzma. Steel City Underground, they're on Twitter, at Steel City Underground, U-N-D-G-R. I don't think we've ever had a Pittsburgh guy on our podcast before. No, we've had a really hard time nailing down a guest. And tell me that guy. His voice reminds me of Matt Waldman. It does. I mean, we've called. Silky smooth. We've called Matt Waldman the Barry White of podcasting. This guy's a close second. I'm not going to lie to you. I did a little bit of a little bit of a podcasting man crush. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah, it's interesting indeed. We all wish we had that type of voice, but we don't. <laughs> no, you're all stuck with me. You're all stuck with me. And that brings us to this week's keys to victory. Wow, it's a lot of keys. Bigger the keychain, more powerful the man. Pop a top and take a seat because here they come. First of all, you got to make Ben Roethlisberger uncomfortable in the pocket. He's not sacked often. I mean, he's, he hasn't taken many sacks at all this season. And he's seen everything a secondary has to offer over the course of his NFL career. I mean, he's 38 years old. You're not really going to fool this guy. And so in that way, much of what our defense has thrived on over the last few weeks in terms of safety utilization and masking our plays pre-snap, 
that becomes somewhat less valuable because you're playing against a quarterback who you can't trick. He knows tells. He knows signs. He he sees your DB's feet and he goes, okay, that guy's angling this way already. I already know what the play is. But he's not exactly a spring chicken. And he's not pulling out an he's not pulling an Allen and rolling out to buy time with peak athleticism anymore. So if you can muddy the pocket, that's I mean, that's gonna be a must for Buffalo. If you're gonna have a shot at suppressing the firepower they have on offense. In that way, it's going to be on our defensive line and our linebackers to generate pressure in that A and B gap, kind of like they did to Nick Mullins this week. Yeah. And that's a tall task, considering that the Steelers have real talent as center and guard. I mean, they're going to get Pouncey back. They're going to have DeCastro. They've got some guys in there who do a, if not Pro Bowl-level job every year. I mean, name me a more consistent offensive line than the Pittsburgh Steelers. Are they or are they not one of the top 10 in the NFL every year? Yeah, they are. And so you're going to have to do work against these guys. And I think it's the front seven that's really going to have to bring their lunchbox. Because if you can do that, you're going to keep them from having the time that it takes to find guys like Claypool and Juju down the field because they've been able to devastate teams. Claypool has drawn at least one Pass interference flag in each of the last three games. That's not good, considering that his average targets are 15, 16, 17 yards downfield. Those are sizable plays if you can draw flags that far down the field. Another key is going to be Milano, Edmonds, and Klein against the satellite wide receiver running backs and tight ends. To our guest's point, the Steelers don't attack the middle of the field very well. They just don't do it. But they like to get guys, and they don't run the ball particularly well. But what they do is they use the pass and replacement of the run. They use small little dump-offs into the flat to let their running backs and wide receivers and tight ends get yards after the catch. Our linebackers are going to have to be cognizant of that and sniff those out before they're allowed to hurt us. It was something they did really well last night against the 49ers. I really thought that the Debo Samuel satellite motion where he comes around the formation and they get him on a swing pass and he catches it with a full head of steam and just blows through the defense. I mean, that's something they've been, they killed the Rams with it. They crippled the Patriots with it. The Bills kept that in check because it was so well covered. You're going to have to do more of that this weekend against the 49ers. You're going to have to make sure that those, and when you do, ca- and when they do catch the ball on a two-yard route in the flat, you rally to the ball and make sure it's sound tackling. It's on our linebackers to win that matchup. Our offensive line is going to have to do work against T.J. Watt. T.J. Watt is having another All-Pro type season, which kind of fits his. I mean, that's who he is, right? Yeah, he's of the Watt pedigree. Imagine what it's like being their brother, Derek. You've got J.J., who's uh, one of the richest defensive players, multiple-time defensive player of the year. You've got his brother, T.J., who's probably in line for defensive player of the year or is at least working towards it. And then you got this guy who's a fullback, and he just kind of hangs out. <laughs> he, he, what is he, five snaps a game? Yeah. Well, what, what are, what's Christmas dinner like in that family? Oh, I got this trophy. I got this many sacks. I got this many sacks. And their brother's like, yeah, well, uh, I uh, I played, I, I made a tackle on special teams. <laughs> oh, you did, did you? Did you? 
Well, isn't that? And his mom comes up. I, I, I picture their mother, like the mother from Step Brothers, who just glosses over all of the chaos. And she's like, well, that's very sweet, honey. Let me put some mashed potatoes on your plate. Ultimately, our offensive line, we watched what happened. Now, 49ers didn't have an elite pass rusher in this game. But we saw what Joey Bosa did to that group. He beat everybody. Every single lineman had a failure against Joey Bosa. TJ Watt is that type of player. They have to find a way to execute better than they did the last time they played an elite pass rush talent or an elite defensive line talent. Because if they don't, it's going to be a very long night because Bosa almost wrecked that Chargers game for us. Yeah, he did. Single-handedly, he had like a handful of sacks and then almost a torn MCL for a quarterback. And then on our offensive side of the ball, more design plays to get Allen on the move. We watched it last night that when Allen can roll out and buy his wide receivers a little bit of time, he's not shy about being aggressive down the field. And there's very few cornerbacks in the NFL who can hang with what Cole Beasley and Stephon Diggs combined bring to the table. It's just hard to do. So with that in mind, Dable's going to have to be at his most creative. If he can find a way to pull this off and get Josh Allen moving and buy time for the wide receivers because Mika Fitzpatrick is going to be lurking out there. Their secondary is pretty good. If he can drum up a game plan that executes on that level well, on the move, I will take back at least a third of the bad things I've ever said about the men. I don't know about that. No, a third. I will take them back. I will recant. And that's a lot, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> you could fill a dump truck with that one third. If you're going to take a third of it back, that would mean you'd have to drink a third of a case of Molson Ice. I think last night even I said I would slap him in his bald head. Yeah, you say I don't that. Even every, know why I said you say it. that I every remember, week? I remember it coming out of my mouth. I don't remember. It, I don't even remember what it was in reference to. I said I just want to wind up, lick my hand, and slap his bald head. I will take back a third of the terrible things that I've ever said about this man. If he can dial up a game plan that gets Josh Allen out of the pocket and moving, so that these pass rushers on their defensive line can't just tee off because it's not just T.J. Watt. They've got good defensive tackle play. And our offensive line, yes, they showed well, but I, this is this is the crucible right here. You're putting them in the fire. Prediction for the game, Chris. Jesus, this is going to be. I think this is going to be a really good game. I'm gonna say it's going to be like a relatively average scoring game, like in the 20s for both teams. Let's not bet on the score. We always bet on the score. That's boring. All right, Josh Allen. Under over 280 yards passing. Over. You're taking the over? Over. I'm taking the under. All right. There's Cheers. Your bet. 280. 280? Do you think the Bills can pull this off? I do. I think Washington exposed them a little bit, and they hadn't been playing that great no. as of late. They And, I mean, yeah, you, you can't change who you play, but they've had a, you know, like Joe had said, like you're playing – Denver, they don't have Von Miller. Drew Locke has been in and out of the lineup. They had to play Jacksonville. They played uh, Baltimore with no Lamar Jackson. I mean, 
they're getting some breaks with their with their schedule and injuries and COVID. I think Buffalo can beat them. I think so too. I agree with you, and I think that this team, to a degree, I mean, you just lost to a four win team with Alex Smith at quarterback. They have one wide receiving threat, and yet they stressed you so much on defense that you couldn't cover them. How are you going to contend with Diggs, Beasley, and Gabe Davis? Not to mention Dawson Knox with with minimal inside linebacker talent. I think this is a game where you see some you see some decisiveness from Allen. And if they come out and win this football game, even if it's a close one, even if it's a barn burner that goes down to the wire, and you get to ten wins. Yeah. Everybody buckle up because the hype bus. It's not 55 miles an hour. Keanu Reeves is going to be struggling to keep it under 70. Well, in that case, then we just give the wheel to Sammy Hagar. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, thank you for showing up tonight for tonight's podcast. Again, Wise Guys Pizza and the Toys for Tots donation. And over the next two weeks, get ready because two weeks from now, our festivist celebration, an airing of Bill's grievances, Something we started five and a half years ago, Chris. Yeah, we did it during our first uh, season podcast. It was the only way we could make it through it. Yeah. A a terrible season under Rex Ryan gave birth to a Bill celebration of Festivus. And every year, we ask our listeners to reach out to us via email, Twitter, Reddit. I'm going to go make posts. It's going to be great. Rockpile Report on Twitter. RockpileReport716 at gmail.com. Find us at The Rockpile Report on Reddit. We are going to post things, and we're going to be taking all of your grievances. I mean, I I think Frank Costanza said it best. Festivus is a time to tell everybody all the ways that they've disappointed you so that you can go into the new year with a clean slate. And every year we do it on this podcast. It's a great time, and we take the best responses that we get And we give away free pizza from Wise Guys Pizzeria. Wise Guys Toys for Tots. Wise Guys supporting our Festivus celebration. What's not to love about that place? And that's what... So reach out to us with your Bill's grievances for 2020. Guys, this has been a lot of fun. I now have one open beer in each hand. I'm back on the horse. Who knew, Chris, that the only thing I had to do to get back to feeling like a normal human being after how horrible the first half of my day went was to have seven beers. (laughs) We got to get the hell out of here, guys. It's been a lot of fun. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That was Joe Kuzma. And this has been the Rockpile Report. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance.
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. 